I want to talk about the subject of faith. Come on. Listen, I, I know it's, if you come to church, you expect to hear about faith, you know, well, have faith in God. But I think a lot of times we just assume that, that faith is uh, something that just comes natural for a Christian. But can I tell you what? Faith takes work. Faith isn't easy. Um, and I think a lot of times, too, that, you know, in, in a church service, in a setting like today, we have people that have been serving and, and walking in their relationship with God for 60-plus years, but we've got people that have been serving and walking in the relationship with God for maybe six months or less. And so I want to talk about this subject, such an important subject in the kingdom of God, and we, we're going to dive into it in a little bit of detail. Is that cool with everybody? Come on, so if you hear anything that you're like, amen, and you're just saying amen in your heart, I want you to say it out loud, because here at Calvary Tabernacle, we believe a quiet church is a dead church, and we are not a dead church. We are a church that serves the living God, and this is a living organism right here, and so we're going to just preach to each other this morning. Amen, amen. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 4? Romans chapter 4. We're not going to jump into there just yet. We'll jump in there here in a little while. Uh, but I'm actually going to spend a, a lot of time over the next couple of weeks in the book of Genesis. Because believe it or not, Genesis obviously being the, the first book of the Bible. It's the, the first book in the Old Testament. Believe it or not, Genesis is closer kin to the New Testament than it is the Old Testament in uh, terms of faith. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time in Genesis as well. But you can go ahead and put your finger there in Romans chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray that today as we dive into your word, that you would make it come alive in us, that you would speak to each and every single individual in this place, Lord, like only you can. And God, I pray that when you speak, it wouldn't just be something that we hear with our ears or just play around with in our mind, God, but I pray that your word would sink down deeply inside of our hearts, God, that it would cause us to move, that it would cause us to change, and it would cause us to take actions, not only in our personal lives, but in the world that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the, the title of this series, we're going to call it Faith Is. Faith Is. And the title of today's message is Faith Is the Currency of the Kingdom. Faith Is the Currency of the Kingdom. Several years ago, I went on a mission trip to Southeast Asia and I had the opportunity to, to visit four different countries there and to minister the gospel in a lot of really neat places. I'm so thankful for that opportunity that I had uh, to do that. One of the places that we went was Indonesia. And uh, Indonesia is a uh, country made up of a bunch of little islands. And, and so I was excited to get there and heard that it was beautiful. And we got there, sure enough, is a very beautiful place. And, and uh, we had just flown into Indonesia. Well, we, at this point, whenever we got to Indonesia, we had already been in Southeast Asia for a month, and I had not had a haircut uh, in that whole time, and so I was getting a little shaggy, and, and I was uh, set to preach in a couple of days at a pretty large church, so I didn't want to look like a bum, and uh, so I, <laughs> I told my friends, like, we've got to find a, a salon. We've got to find a barber somewhere uh, before we leave, we, we, we flew into a large city, and then we were driving into uh, some smaller towns. And, and so we got to find a barber before we, before we leave the large city here. And, 
And so he's like, yeah, yeah, let's go. And so uh, we rock, walked across the street to this mall, and uh, we it was, it was kind of a swanky mall. Uh, you know, think like the North Park Mall in Dallas. I don't know if you've ever been to some ladies. are like, oh, yeah, I know exactly. Anyways, it was kind of a swanky mall, and so we walked in, and, and uh, up until this point in my life, I had never paid more than $10 for a haircut, ever. And so we walk into this mall, and everything is really nice in this mall. And, and my friend, uh, we're, we're looking at the, the map, you know, that has all the stores and the locations in the mall. And, and uh, he said, oh, man, they have a Tony and Guys here. And I, I know some of our hairdressers here today, they, they'll know what Tony and Guys is. Some of you may not. Tony and Guys is a super swanky place to go get your hair fixed, to get it cut, to get it styled, uh, to, you know, do whatever. I actually looked it up. I was just curious. Last night I looked it up. Uh, there is a Tony and Guys in the North Park Mall, and their haircuts for men start out at $65. Start out. It, it, on the price says it's, on the pricing chart, it says 65 plus. So I don't know what exactly the plus means or what all they would have to do to make that price go up, but $65, that's a lot of money. For a haircut, I know some of you women, you're like, ah, that's chump change. But for us men, that, that's an expensive haircut. And so we walked into this uh, mall in Indonesia, and, and he's like, let's go see how much it would be to get our haircut at this Tony and Guys. I was like, dude, listen, it, I've always told my barber, if he ever, like, nicks my hair or something, just cut it all off. Just buzz it straight down to the scalp. It doesn't matter. I'm not particularly attached to my hair. I mean, you know, it's it's not a big deal to me. I was like, I don't have to pay a lot of money for a haircut. He's like, let's just go see how much it is. So I'm like, okay. So we go in, and uh, we talked to the, the stylist there. He, he knew a little bit of English, and so obviously we didn't know any of the Indonesian languages. And so, you know, we're asking him how much a haircut is. And he tells us it's 74,000 rupiah. And I was like, 74,000 rupiah? I told my friend, I was like, oh, man, let's go. Let's go. And so we're like, okay, well, thank you. You know, we'll be back. Like, maybe not, probably not. But, you know, we left. I'm like, 74,000 rupiah? I was like, there is no way. Like, we've got to find a different haircut place. And so we, we keep looking around the mall, and, and we decided at that point we, we better go exchange some of our American dollars into rupiah so we could buy stuff in the country. And so we went to the exchange bank, and uh, I found out that one rupiah was worth, right or just last night, one rupiah is worth 0.000067 U.S. dollars. But at the time, whenever he told me it was 74,000 rupiah, I, my, I'm sure my jaw hit the floor. I mean, I wanted to just slap him in the face like, what an insult. That, there's no way a haircut could cost that much money. And then we went to the exchange bank and we found out, oh, oh, how much is it? So we, we got a piece of paper and a pen and, and we're scratching out some math. Comes, come to find out, it's $5. $5. I was like, dude. We're going to Tony and Guy's today. We're going to get us the nicest haircuts we've ever had. So we exchanged some money. We went back. We walked in like this. Yeah, I'll take a haircut. <laughs> we go sit down. It was actually one of the best haircuts I've ever had in my life. I'm not going to lie. But I remember whenever we got done, 
the the stylist was real friendly and and uh you know we we even got to share a little bit with him about Jesus and uh whenever we got done I gave him ten dollars worth of rupees, hundred and forty eight thousand rupees. <laughs> and his face lit up like wow. And I remember thinking, man, this is cheap. Like ten dollars, this is that's that's a cheap haircut. But to this guy, that was a generous gift, not only to pay for the haircut, but to, then to give double the amount as to what a haircut cost. And it was in that moment, I don't, I don't know, I just, in those moments, I just, I don't, I don't know if I just listen more or if God's just a little bit louder in my ear, I don't know. But it's just like he spoke to me and he said, what you know from where you come from isn't the same as it is here. See, in America, 74,000 of anything is a lot. 74,000 pennies, that is a lot. Was that $740? Am I doing math correctly there? I don't know. Maybe so. Where are my math geniuses at? Someone tell me no or yes. I don't know. Okay, well, no one knows, so that's great. You won't know if I'm wrong or not. All right. <laughs> but 74,000 is a lot of anything here in America. But over there, it wasn't a whole lot. And I think we use the same kind of mentality whenever it comes to spiritual things like faith. And we look at ourselves and what we value here in our worldly system, we think that those same things hold the same amount of value in the kingdom of God. But can I submit to you today that that is not the case? That is not the case. What is valuable here isn't necessarily valuable in the kingdom of God. And so if we are going to uh, follow Jesus, if we are going to build the kingdom, we need to kind of put aside what we know of our worldly institutions, and we need to look at the word of God and see what it has to say about the currency that the kingdom of heaven uses, and that is the subject of faith. Someone say faith. Faith. But Real quick, before we talk about what faith is, I want to say a couple things about what faith isn't. Uh, by the way, if you have uh, the Bible app on your smartphone, I would encourage you to pull that up because we're going to go through a little bit of scripture this morning. There's a little bit of notes in there uh, that you can find that uh, right there on the Bible app on your phone. It's a really handy tool. But here's a couple things that faith is not. Faith is not a religion. Faith is not a religion. I uh, obviously went to Bible college, and, and I worked at an on-the-border restaurant there and uh, while I was supporting myself through Bible college, paying bills. And, and uh, we, the on-the-border that we went to wasn't in a, a place where there were a whole lot of Christians. It wasn't a big uh, Christian population in that area. So I remember starting to work there. I'm like, man. I don't think anybody in this place is saved. Everybody here needs Jesus. And they would all ask me, they're like, oh, you're religious, aren't you? And I'm like, sure, if that's what you want to say. They're like, well, what faith are you? And I'm like, man, what, what kind of question is that? There is only one faith. There, what, what do you mean, what faith am I? I'm a Christian if that's what you're trying to ask me. But listen, faith is not a religion. Okay, so let's just go ahead and, and put that out there. Here's the second thing. Faith is not a set of denominational doctrines. Faith is not a set of denominational doctrines. Faith is the main subject of the Bible. Did you know in the New Testament, the word faith or believe in, in all their various forms are used 444 times in the New Testament alone. And 
if you compare that with even the, the powerful subject of love in the New Testament, love and all of its uh, words and possible forms are used only 248 times, I believe, 246 or 248 times. Meaning that faith is used almost twice as much as even the powerful subject of love. And listen, I'm not trying to say that God talked about faith more, so it's definitely more important than love. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is this. I, th I think whenever God talks a lot about one subject in the Bible, I think it's because I need to hear it more because it's something that I'm going to struggle to do. <laughs> and so faith is talked about so much in the New Testament. In fact, it is the main subject of the Bible. And here's the last thing I want to talk. Faith is not for the weak-minded. I had a student that used to come to church, and this student was really struggling with the concept of faith. And uh, this student came every week, faithfully, <laughs> came every week. But every week, the student would come and ask me questions and be like, I just don't know. I just, I don't understand it. I just, faith doesn't make sense. Why do you put your faith blindly into something that you don't believe? And the student would always tell me, faith is just a crutch for the weak-minded. The idea of God was made up for people that can't think for themselves in a tough situation. And I remember telling my student this. I was like, well, from my experience of faith, it's not easy to have faith in a tough situation. In fact, it's in those moments it seems harder to have faith sometimes. Faith is not for the weak-minded. Faith is not easy, but it is good. Someone say it is good. So here's point number one. I've only got two points today. Point number one. Faith is what makes us right with God. Faith is what makes us right with God. That's what faith is. It's what makes us right with God. So Genesis chapter 12, you can look uh, at this portion in your Bible if you want to. We're also going to have it up there on the screen. But I'm going to read just a couple verses from chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15. It says this right here, talking about a man named Abram. Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, leave your relatives, and leave your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. So we see God had a command for Abraham, but he attached a promise to this command. He goes on to say, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Someone say he departed as the Lord instructed. Look at your neighbor and say he was obedient. He was obedient. Let's skip down to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 14. It says, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction. Look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Wow, that's pretty cool. Go and walk through the land in every direction. There's the command. For I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. And there he built another altar to the Lord. Look to your neighbor again and say, Abram was obedient. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 14. Melchizedek blessed Abram with his blessing. I wish so bad we had the, the time to talk about Melchizedek, but we don't. 
Blessed be Abram of God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Look at your neighbor and say, Abram was obedient, and he even tithed. Now look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. He's given him the promise again. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all of your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No! Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And notice Abram's reply. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. I have some really good news for everyone here today. Your obedience isn't what makes you right with God. Your faith is what makes you right with God. In Genesis chapter 12, Abram was obedient but still not righteous. In Genesis chapter 13, Abram was obedient, but still not righteous. In Genesis chapter 14, Abram was obedient. He even gave a tithe to the Lord, but he still was not righteous. We only find that God says that he is righteous in chapter 15 after it says Abram believed the word of God. Come on. This is good, church. This is good. I love this. I'm a father. I have two young boys. And I want my boys to be obedient to me. I do. But I can stand here confidently before you this morning and tell you that our relationship is not measured by their obedience to me as their father. They can choose to be disobedient to me every command I give them for the rest of their life, and it will not make me love them less. I love them because of who they are. And see, they can be obedient without loving me, but what good would that be to me as their father? I don't just want to robot children running around doing everything I command them. I want them to love me. I want them to believe in me. I want them to be the kid that goes to the school and be like, my daddy can beat your daddy up because they believe in me. Now, Gabriel and Benjamin if they get in a conversation with Luke or Jack and they're like, you know, my daddy can beat you up, they're probably right because Marquise, I mean, he's got a little bit on me there. But, you know, at least, I just at least want them to believe in me, right? Come on, it's the same with God. Our relationship with God isn't measured by our obedience to him. Hmm. Our relationship with God is measured by our faith in him. And if you got your finger there in Romans chapter 4, we're going to go ahead and Read through some of that. We're going to start in verse 9. Paul is talking about Abraham and the faith he has. And he says this, 
Now, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith, but how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before. Someone say before. Say it one more time. Before. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before, someone say before, he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous. Someone say counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith. Someone say the same kind of faith. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to break it. And I love Paul. He gives us such a confidence boost. He says the only way you can avoid breaking the law is if you have no law to break. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Appreciate you believing in me, man. <laughs> oh, that's good. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Ooh, that's beautiful. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was just good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb, for that matter. <laughs> Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Someone say that's faith. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced, someone say fully convinced, that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Oh, y'all ready for this? This next verse is the best part, the very best part, the very best part. Romans chapter 4, verse 23. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Someone say, my benefit. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Oh, that's good. Come on, that is good. Listen, your salvation is not dependent on your obedience to God. 
And I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to discount obedience. I'm not saying obedience is not important. That is not what I'm trying to say. But I, this is what I am trying to say. Your works is not what can purchase you a ticket into heaven. Your works is not what makes you right with God. It's your faith. Someone say, my faith. It's your faith that makes you right with God. I've got a little experiment here. Uh, I've got some water. doesn't exactly look pretty. I think Brother Don drank. It was up to about here. Brother Don is thirsty. But. but here's the thing. Whenever we go through life, we have failures and we have faults. And unlike Brother Don, I do not want to drink this. It doesn't look clean. It doesn't look refreshing. I promise you that is not sweet tea. He thought it was peach tea. It is not. It is definitely iodine. In water, a.k.a. monkey's blood is what, you, what the, I know a lot of uh, the, the old timers put it on animals. They get a cut or, or whatever. You don't want to drink that, trust me. But here's the thing in our life. I think so many of us Christians have this idea that I'm dirty, I'm messed up. And I just don't think God wants to or I'm not sure if he can do anything with this. I'm already kind of too far gone. And so we have this mentality that maybe if I do something good, it will kind of dilute the bad things that I've done. How many of y'all want to drink this now? Your righteous deeds are not what makes you right with God. Well, maybe if I just do a little bit more, maybe if, I, if I'm really good to my wife, maybe if I don't cheat on this test, maybe if I work hard at my job, maybe if I be kind to someone that needs help, how many of y'all still want to drink this? No. And we can do righteous deeds all day long. But our righteousness, our righteous deeds do not make us right with God. It is our faith in God. And here's the thing. I, if you don't walk away with anything else today, this is what I want you to walk away with. Your salvation is not dependent on anything or any work that you can do. The only work your salvation is dependent on is the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. There is one work. Come on. There is one work. And that work is good enough. That work is good enough. We don't have to do all of our righteous deeds. We just have to believe in the God that can do miracles. We just have to put our faith and our hope and our trust in the work of God. Our righteous deeds won't clean us up, but the righteous deed of Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins, and what is what makes us right with God again makes us right with him again. I still don't want to drink this water. But it's just for illustration purposes. I love this. When God counted Abram as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was for our benefit too. We are counted as righteous also by God if we believe in him. Here's point number two, the last one. Faith is how we please God. 
So faith makes us right with God. And faith is how we please God. This is such a cool story. Back in Genesis chapter 5, I just want to read a couple verses here in Genesis. It says, when Jared was 162 years old, and this isn't to be confused with Jared Hogue. He's not quite that old. When Jared was 162 years old, he became the father of Enoch. After the birth of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. This was before the flood. Times were a little bit different then. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day, he disappeared because God took him. Now I want to read two verses of scripture from Hebrews chapter 11. It gives us a little bit of insight on this story that we just read. Hebrews 11, verse 5. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. And he quotes Genesis. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, listen to this, before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. This is such a cool story. Here's Jared. He's 162 years old and he has a son named Enoch. Enoch gets to be 65 years old. He has his first son named Methuselah. And the Bible tells us kind of at that point, Enoch starts walking in a close relationship with God. In a, in a close, intimate walk with God. And I, I don't know, I, I look at certain words in the Bible that catch my attention. Why does the writer of Genesis, being Moses, why does he use the word walk? Enoch walked in close fellowship with God. Why walk? Like, walking is literally one of the most mundane things that a person can do. Like, there's only two times that walking is ever really celebrated. And that's if someone has a severe injury and has to go through extensive rehab to be able to walk again. And, you know, they, they get up and they take their first steps and all the nurses and doctors and family are crowded around their chair. Yeah, go. The second time that walking is celebrated is whenever a little toddler takes his or her first steps. And it's celebrated for at least 12 seconds before the celebration is gone because now this little tornado that was wreaking havoc at the floor level is now wreaking havoc all over the house at the countertop level. And so that celebration doesn't last real long. Walking is just not something that we celebrate. It's mundane. It's something we do every day, and most of us don't even think about it. So why does God use this word that Enoch walked in close fellowship with God? You know why I believe that he uses that? Is because our relationship with God and the faith that we have in God should extend beyond just the things that we think should be miraculous, and they should extend to every aspect of our lives. Enoch walked in close fellowship with God, 
so close, apparently, that God was just like, all right, dude, I'm tired of you being there. I just need you to be able to just, whoop, come on up, man. The Bible says he didn't even die. God just took him. He just disappeared. And it tells us that before he was taken up, he was known as someone that pleased God. But you can only please God by faith. Enoch's faith was a faith that was every step, every moment of his life. And I believe that God wants the same for us. I think sometimes it's easier for us to believe and have faith in God for a miraculous healing than it is for us to have faith in God while we're washing the dishes. Sometimes I think it's easier to have faith in God for this job that we've been wanting for a long, long time, and it's harder for us to have faith in God as we mow our yard. We get frustrated. We get angry throughout the day at the little moments. And I believe God just wants us to have faith in every moment, in every moment, the big moments and the mundane moments. Someone say, I want to please God. I want to please God. In a couple of weeks, Emily and I are going to the Grand Canyon, and we're really, really excited about it. We were thinking about it the other day. This is the first time that we have been on a vacation, just the two of us, without kids or without her being in the advanced stages of pregnancy uh, since our honeymoon nine years ago. <laughs> it was the first time it was just going to be me and her, no kids to worry about <laughs> since our honeymoon nine years ago. But you know what? We've been married over nine years now. And our marriage relationship is happier and healthier, and we are more in love than we were the week that we got married. And it's not because we have all these extravagant experiences all across the world together, but it's because we share even the mundane moments together, even the little moments. We make fun of our kids together all the time. We laugh together. We talk about everything together, and I think that's the kind of faith that God wants us to have, not just the faith for the big moments in life, but the faith in the everyday walk with God throughout our lives. Mm, that's good. That's good. This is a really cool fact. I don't know if you've ever realized, but Adam, as in Adam and Eve, Adam was still alive when Enoch walked with God. It gives us the genealogy of these men all the way from Adam all the way down. You know, we, we talked about Jared. Jared was the father of Enoch. Enoch was the father of Methuselah. It tells us how long they lived. You can go back in your Bible in Genesis chapter 5 and do the math for yourself. I already did it, so you don't have to. But if you don't believe me, you're welcome to do that. Uh, but Adam lived to be 930 years old. And the, at the moment that the Bible kind of gives us an indication that Enoch began walking with God, Adam was only 687 years old. So he still lived for 243 years after Enoch began walking with God. And I can just imagine being Adam because in the earlier chapters of Genesis, it tells us that Adam and Eve used to walk in the garden with God. In the cool breezes of the evening, God would come and he would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. Well, we know the story. Adam and Eve sinned. Next week, we're going to talk about what that sin was, and the sin wasn't eating an apple. <laughs> they walked with God, but then they sinned, and, 
And as their punishment, they were banished from the garden. And as a result, they were banished from God's presence. They were put out of the presence of God. And I can just imagine Adam going to Enoch's house every single day and being like, hey, great, 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 great grandson, what was it like today? Where did y'all walk to? What did he say? And I can imagine Enoch saying, great, 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 great grandfather, you ask me this every single day. I can just imagine Adam, though, man, just tell me, tell me one thing he said. Tell me what it was like that first moment that you heard his voice again. What was it like walking close to him? Could you feel that, that power as you're just, just feet away from him walking? I can imagine, I don't know, this is just my imagination. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but I can imagine that Adam probably lived every single day of his life with regret for the mistake that he had made and for not being able to be in that place of close fellowship with God again. Here is the good news, church. Look at yourself say, this is good news. Here's the good news. We get the opportunity to walk in close fellowship with God every single day. And we do that by faith. We do that by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 9, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. He says this. He says, we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing. We live by faith. Someone say by faith. And not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord face to face. Come on. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. This is what Paul is saying. Right now in these earthly bodies, we don't have the opportunity to walk and in close fellowship with God face to face. But our goal as we are in these bodies, is to walk with him from faith to faith. Faith to faith. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. It says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, everyone who has faith. The Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by, from start to finish, from start to finish. Listen, we have this incredible opportunity to walk in close fellowship with God from start right here this morning to finish the end of our last breath. We get this opportunity to walk closely in fellowship with him. And it's done through faith, through faith. We might not be able to be face to face right now, but we can live faith to faith right now. This is what I want to challenge you with as we close this morning. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, please don't leave here today without doing that. After the service, if you haven't done after the service, I want you to come talk to me. I would love to talk with you, talk what it means about walking in close fellowship with God. That's how we are made right with him, not by our works, but by our faith. That's how we please him, by our faith. 
And if you say, man, I, I put my faith in God a long time ago, that's wonderful. I want to encourage you to be intentional about putting your faith in him in every moment of your life. Not just the big moments, but every moment. Walking faith to faith, start to finish by faith. Jesus, we love you so much. God, we thank you that our salvation is not dependent on our own works. That our relationship with you isn't made right by the good things that we do. But that we can be made right with you and in good standing and good relationship with you. Just by believing in you, by believing your word. And God, I pray today that we would not dismiss or overlook the small mundane moments in our lives, God, but that we would give you every moment of our lives, that we would walk from start to finish by faith in our lives because we want to be a people that pleases you. God, we love you. We could not be more grateful for the gift of life that you have given us. And, Lord, we grab onto it by faith, and we say thank you by faith, and we walk out the rest of this Sunday by faith and tomorrow by faith. Help us to be the people that the rest of the world would just look at and say, man, they are a faith-filled people. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 I love you so much. I want to read one more verse. Job 19 says, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. Someone say, I know. I have faith. I know my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. And I pray that that is our same mentality this week. God, we are overwhelmed at the thought of seeing you. But even before our body decays, we have the opportunity to walk with you by faith. I love you so much, church. Have a wonderful day. You are dismissed. I want to remind you again about the prayer chain uh, downtown at 2 o'clock today. If you're interested, please come join us in prayer, downtown in prayer on Thursday as well. Love you so much. Tell someone you love them before you go. Have a great day.